Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, guys, my guest with me today is Dr. Mindy Kessler. She has a PhD in marriage and family therapy. She's a trauma therapist and coach. She's also the author of Cycle Breaker, a guide to transcending childhood trauma. Mindy, happy to have you today. Happy to have you with us today. How are you? Hi, Nick. It's just delightful to talk to you, and I'm doing great. Awesome. So why don't we just dive right in and kind of share with us maybe your backstory and how you got into being a trauma therapist and coach. Well, I had always been interested in helping people at a young age. I just intuitively knew being a therapist was something I was meant to do. But what I didn't realize is that when I was really involved in studying trauma therapy, I was learning a lot about how to heal myself. And like a lot of people who are adults um, living, trying to live life the best they can to be the best spouse and parent and worker that they can be, I, I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety and all kinds of symptoms like self-doubt. I had chronic physical issues, never really knowing exactly why I suffered so much. And even with all of the learning I had done with trauma recovery, I never fully put connected the dots that I myself had an immense amount of trauma that had been repressed and that was seriously impacting my life. And so I, after many years of trying to do my best, you know, to make a good life for myself, I, I, my health got to a point where I couldn't function anymore. I had dealt with chronic pain and illness since I was 18 and about nine years ago, 10 years ago, I reached a point that my health was impacting me so much. I literally couldn't go to work anymore. And this was after two decades of going to all kinds of, of doctors and asking all kinds of questions. And I also simultaneously was working with different therapists. And so I just reached this point of despair really where physically I was miserable, emotionally I was miserable and my body just said enough. And so fortunately my health breakdown gave me an opportunity to really dig deep to uncover what I had not put together before, which was the devastating impact of childhood trauma and how that had not only impacted me as a kid, but uh, pervasively impacted my entire adult experience. Yeah, are you comfortable kind of sharing with the audience kind of what you went through when you were a child? Sure. Um, you know, one thing I want to say, like, as kids, we both know what's happening when we're being abused and neglected is wrong, but we also feel a great sense of confusion because when our parents are the people who are supposed to be loving us, guiding us and helping us are also the ones who are hurting us it's incredibly confusing as a kid. And so we use all kinds of coping mechanisms to get ourselves through a very tough time. So we have to tell ourselves 
a different narrative than what's actually happening. So we use denial, we suppress how we feel, and it's an incredibly lonely experience for people who don't have a lot of outside support. So for me and my family, I had a brother and two parents and no uh, close other family that was of support. And so it was an incredibly isolating, lonely experience. And my, my experience is that of the black sheep. I sort of like that term as a, as a way to identify those of us who are really sensitive tend to um, suffer even more when there are abusive things happening. And so essentially my whole childhood was the experience of being the black sheep in my family. And when that happens, we, we are the scapegoat. So anytime something goes wrong or our parents are frustrated or angry about something else, they tend to take it out on us. So I essentially just grew up in a state of freeze my entire childhood where I was scared all the time because no matter what I did, there was threat of punishment, um, the silent treatment, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. And um, ultimately one of the things that I uncovered in my, after my health breakdown was that I also experienced a great deal of sexual abuse in my childhood. And so it was just basically an incredibly stressful way to live like the entire duration of my childhood. Yeah. I appreciate you being transparent and sharing that. As you were talking there, I was writing some things down. How you mentioned trauma begins to affect health. I don't think a lot of people understand this, not just psychological and emotional pain that we deal with, but it can actually transcend into our physical bodies and create physical ailments. What types of things were you suffering with physically as a result of all this? Yeah, the reason that we um, have issues with chronic health problems when we grow up with childhood trauma is that we are in a constant state of fight, fight, freeze. And we can't both have our sympathetic nervous system activated and be healthy because our other functions necessary to have a healthy body um, slow down or shut down because our primary need at that point is survival rather than thriving in life. And so for me, I had issues with uh, chronic pelvic pain from the age of 18. It was very confusing. Mm -hmm. I went to doctors for many years without um, really any answers at all. And so over time, the health problems just kept piling up, really severe problems with digestion. Mm -hmm. I had chronic pain all over my body, which I never got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but I would, I would say it would met the criteria for that. Mm -hmm. I had uh, chronic migraines, which was very debilitating. And then I had other weird symptoms like burning in my hands and feet, chronic burning in my mouth. I had uh, really horrible insomnia. I was tired all the time mm -hmm. and I didn't realize how poorly I was sleeping, but I was working with a massage therapist who did a lot of foot reflexology and she helped me diagnose conditions that the doctors wouldn't think of. And so one day she said, Mindy, there's something wrong with your sleep. I said, well, I'm exhausted all the time, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm sleeping good enough, but I trusted her. And so I went to my doctor and had a sleep study and found out I was waking up um, maybe around 180 times at night without noticing, without knowing it. Mm -hmm. And so I never fully gotten that deep sleep. And so we can't restore the health of our bodies if we're not sleeping well. Right. And so I realized that the problem with sleep really had to do with as a child, 
that state of being in constant fear doesn't allow our body to relax enough to fall into a deep state of sleep. And so I carried that pattern into my adult life. Okay. So well, you, you said that as an adult, you were experiencing these symptoms and they just kept building on themselves. As a child, I had a lot of stomach aches, a lot of headaches. I was tired a lot. And, um, and it was when I was 18 that I felt like things like dramatically got, got worse over, over time. Sure. And then, um, I have two daughters and after childbirth, I would get sicker and sure. have more problems with illness and fatigue. So I've shared with my guys on the podcast that my coping mechanism, um, really took off when I found narcotics, it was just a way to escape. And I don't know if that's part of your story, but you never know, you know, who, you know, whoever, was there a coping mechanism that you stumbled across later on, maybe in your adolescent years to help you just medicate maybe, or deal with this? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was perfectionism and high achievement. Um, in okay. my youth, I, I was a runner. And so I was well-respected in my community for being an athlete in that way. I, uh, worked hard to get good grades and to achieve things. And so that was my way of getting noticed by other people since I wasn't noticed in my own family. And so again, how we cope in childhood is how we cope in adulthood. So here I'm getting a master's degree, a PhD, having a successful psychotherapy practice. I was known in my community for working with families who had um, kids who were traumatized. So families who had adopted kids, had fostered kids. And so for me, being a high achiever was really kind of how I kept suppressing how I really felt. You said that um, the, the actual breakdown where it was just too much and the powers that be decided you're going to sit for a minute. And that's when you said like some right. real, real healing had begun to take place. Um, I had another guest on my show a while back who when COVID happened and everything kind of shut down, uh, she said that was kind of a time for her to like really go deep and start making sense of all of it. Why do you think that, because you were going to therapy at the time and studying and being a therapist at the same time, right. <laughs> you still like, I don't want to say unable, but was it just you were suppressing your own stuff while you were trying to help other people or why did it not help you? Why did we have to get to the breakdown before that was able to happen? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. A large, I was able to acknowledge a, lot, a large part of the trauma that I experienced. I, I was aware of the chronic emotional and physical abuse in my family. But I will tell you that our inner child is very powerful. And our inner child who didn't feel that love and acceptance from our parents is desperate for it. And so for me, and I know this happens to a lot of other people, I stayed in contact with my family because my inner child just kept hoping and thinking that one day they'll love me. One day they'll pay attention to me. One day I'll be validated and valued. And so that's part of like part of our wounding, like prevents us from really being able to fully honor and acknowledge what we've been through. Mm -hmm. In combination with that, we live in a society where people say, but they're family. <laughs> and so there was so much conditioning. Like I was wanting someone to say, you don't have to spend time with them anymore. It's not good to have them in their life. Mm -hmm. And I was really relying on someone outside myself, but it required me to decide that. 
And the moment happened for me when I was at a holiday gathering for years. I often made up excuses not to go. I would be sick or if our children were sick, I'd easily volunteer to stay home with them. And uh, this one um, Christmas time, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I think I'm healed enough. Like, I think I can be around them and it'll be okay. But I, I, I went to the gathering and there was this big feast, all this delicious food, you know, that everyone was eating. And me, because of my really damaged digestive system, all I could eat was a smoothie. Mm-hmm. And I blended up my very bland smoothie and everyone else is sitting around the table saying, oh my gosh, this food is so good. Oh, have you tried that yet? Have you tried that yet? And I'm sitting there with my fucking smoothie. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. Not one person has said, hey, Mindy, how come you're not eating what we're eating? And it was like so outrageous to me finally that I was like, why am I here? You know, I I can't eat because the people around this table were so abusive to me. And now they don't even notice or care that I'm not eating what they're eating. It was just like a huge light bulb went off for me. And so that was the last time I spent time around them. Were you? Oh, okay. That was going to be my next question was, were you able to get to a place where you were able to have some maybe needed, maybe not needed, but confrontation where all of this was laid out and you kind of let people know that you know what happened and how you feel about it. Any closure by way of? Yeah, I I did. I did send my parents a letter letting them know Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be having contact with them anymore and why. Okay. And that was really important to do. Did you get a letter back? I got some resistance back from one of them, but it just gave me an opportunity to just assert myself even more forcefully. Was that hard for you to do the asserting yourself part? Because I know in my case, when you're beat down, you almost carry this, like as a child, when you were beat down, now I'm a grown man, perfectly capable of like snapping necks and it wouldn't be a problem, but you still kind of feel like the kid, you know, like you don't want to like bring on anybody's anger or anything like that, or almost you maintain the child position in that relationship. Well, I will tell you, I did um, an immense amount of personal growth work before I was able to do that. Okay. And I, I have really worked very hard on letting go of anger and resentment towards my parents. And I wanted to do it in a way that was really empowering to me. And so by the time I sent the letter, I was ready to do it in a way that wasn't um, hostile and blaming and angry. Mm-hmm. It was just factual. And so I guess I waited until I was ready that I could confidently do it. Yeah. I had this experience years ago. So my son is, my youngest son is 13 and um, he was a different kid. There's nothing wrong with him at all, but we had some like delayed, delayed speech, just some like delayed cognitive stuff. My wife had ended up getting a virus while she was pregnant with him. We don't know if that's what it was or if it was the immunizations or whatever other conspiracy you want to throw out there. But um, I remember him just kind of doing things that kids his age shouldn't be doing, you know, and I would come uncorked, you know, it was my first opportunity to the other kids I I lost through my trips to prison and my addictions and all that, uh, which, you know, it sucked, but it was probably for a better Uh, you know, it was probably for the better because if I would have raised those kids, I'm sure I would have broken them, but I would deal with my son's behavior similar to the way my dad 
and my mother dealt with mine, like very explosive, yelling, angry, pick him up, spank him on his rear end. And, you know, like, rah, you know, there was no redemptive, restoring, loving discipline. It was just rah. And I think he was about four at the time. And he had done something. And I come on court and I picked him up and I spanked him just with my hands on his rear end. And at this time, at this point, my wife was tearing up because she kind of knew that something was off a little bit, you know? And so I'm watching my wife cry. My kid is absolutely bawling and screaming because he just got reprimanded. And quite honestly, he didn't even know why, even though I was telling him why, like it wasn't being absorbed. So now I'm having a moment where I'm like, man, what? maybe I'm missing something here. So I go back in and I pick him up and I wanted to show him what it was that he had done. Cause I'm like, maybe he doesn't know what he did. And in the process of that, I was holding him up against my chest, almost like a bear hug. And he's writhing and he's facing out and he's writhing in my arms because he thinks I'm going to spank him again. And as we go into the bedroom so I can show him what he had done because he was writhing, he face planted into the door frame, and it was the day before picture day, right? And gave himself a gnarly shiner and everything. And at that moment, I came out of the room, I handed my son to my wife and I went full hands off for a long time like I didn't I, I really didn't even talk to him I didn't yell at him I didn't like touch him like there was none of that because in that moment I realized if I raise this kid the way my dad and mom raised me I'm going to break this child and he's going to have all these problems that I had growing up as a result of a deficiency in proper parenting and there's no manual really for parenting. You know what I mean? You just kind of do it the way your parents did you, unless you get a moment of self-awareness and clarity, which I'm so thankful that I had that. And everything began to shift at that point. But I wanted to know if there has been any lingering effects from your childhood trauma that has affected or attempts to affect the way you parent your kids, where you catch yourself being mom or dad or wanting to be. And it's been a battle to like parent differently? I think a lot of us have um, our kids as the why we do things differently. And it's when we come in contact with these parenting experiences where we know we aren't bringing our best self into the interaction and we see our parents and our own behaviors and it's a huge wake up call. Mm -hmm. So I have um, done a lot of personal growth. My kids are 19 and almost 21 now. And so I would use a lot of the experiences I had in parenting with them that didn't feel good to me as indicators of the work I needed to do on myself. Okay. And so now um, we just have really beautiful relationships with each other. They're really very amazing, um, intelligent, compassionate, um, really interested in you know, helping people who have not been treated well. And so though I haven't always parented like the ideal way I wanted to, I feel like I fixed things in time, <laughs> you know, so that um, I can see the benefits that they have gained from the work that I've done. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And that's a word that I would put out to anybody that wanders across this podcast that we don't have to parent our kids the way we were parented. Um, it takes effort though. It takes the realization that 
they will turn out exactly the way you did with all the problems and issues that you have. And just like your book, Cycle Breaker, that's what we need to be. We need to figure out what those toxic cycles are, not only in parenting, but in everything, the way we manage our money, the way we treat our spouse, um, the way we see ourselves, how we manage our health and fitness, all of these things. And it's good. So let's just dive right into the book. Um, I wanted to ask you about, now I'll tell you this, because one of the subchapters in the book reminded me of a book that I just reread last week, having read it a month ago, was by uh, Oprah and um, a psychotherapist that she wrote the book with. And it's oh, called, Terry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called mm -hmm. What Happened to You? Yes. Mm -hmm. That was a fantastic read. I teared up on that book so much as they were talking about all those horrific stories. But um, yeah. yeah, it was really good. But let's ask, why do you think parents hurt us? Why do they do this? For a lot of reasons. I want to say, you know, I don't think any parent really wants to hurt their child and wants to have that kind of dynamic where their kids are scared of them and um, feel unloved by them. And so personally, I had to do a very deep dive into understanding, not just for me, but um, as a humanity, like how does this happen? And so I think it's really important to look at this from both like a human reason why our parents hurt us and also from a spiritual reason why we are hurt. So from the human aspect, parents hurt us because they are hurt. And just like we've parented our kids at times in ways from our own woundedness, that's what our parents have done to us. And so they will um, take out their anger on us. They, or if we seem um, in a way like we're lighter than them, like we are um, happier or more peaceful, they, depending on how wounded they are, like that might be very triggering for them and they might not want their kids to be happier than they are. So on a human level, parents hurt us because they didn't heal and they're just repeating their own wounding with us. Yeah. I believe that before we are born, we decide a lot of the characteristics of the life experience we're gonna have. I believe we pick our parents. I believe we pick where we're gonna live. I believe we pick the kind of life lessons that we really wanna learn while we're here. And so this is created by our soul so that we can evolve as much as we can during the course of our life. And most of us don't grow when things are going well. And so it takes adversity to um, polish the diamond, you know, so to speak. Yeah. And so it can be really, really hard. And this is, I wanna be really delicate when I talk about this because for people who haven't gone very far in a healing journey and they've suffered horrific abuse, it can feel like gaslighting to hear a professional say, um, you know, in a way we kind of signed up for this. And so in no means do I ever want to diminish the pain that someone went through. But for me, Nick, if I wouldn't have come to that realization, it would have made it a lot harder for me to heal. Sure because I needed to know that there was a much bigger reason why I went through the atrocities that I did. Now, this is going to be only for the purpose of me playing devil's advocate with what you just said, not to be in disagreement with you. Sure, sure. Yeah. What if you have somebody out there that may have a different take on spiritual things, 
um, creation, all of that stuff. Yeah. And they can't maybe see that it was a chosen path. You said that you had to come, it helped you coming to terms with that because it kind of gave you a sense of reasoning behind all of it. Is there, is there hope? Is there um, a way for people to see it that, that maybe have a different inception story on how all that works? I do want to be really respectful, you know, that not everyone is going to see things from my uh, point of view. Hmm. I do believe that in order for us to really have a, a deep healing, we have to somehow connect to spirituality. And that also would have been very difficult for me to hear a long time ago, because I was really mad at God <laughs> for a long time. And, you know, any talk of religion or spirituality would talk about triggers that would really fire me up. And so I understand also if people have that response. And so I want to be really respectful. But in, um, in my own experience, like as a professional and as a person on a healing journey for a very long time, trauma and the recovery of trauma is meant to bring us back in contact to our true selves, who we really are, which is our spiritual self. And we get disconnected from our true self because of traumatic experiences. We, when our par we see our parents as godlike. And so when we are hurt by our parents, it can be very devastating with regards to our connection to spirituality and our connection to God. And so part of the process is us seeking the wisdom and how we can more comfortably recognize the fact that what happened to us was meant to bring us back to our true selves. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that take on it. I was just writing this morning on the second book and I was talking about neural pathway development and I, I share these stories from my own life in the book so that it's clearer for people. I feel like storytelling is really a great way to pound home points in a way that people can clearly grasp them. And I was talking about how the first, um, let's see, 2003 is when I became a Christian. And so we're pushing 20 years. And I was talking with my wife about this the other day it's been miserable and um, it's not supposed to be that way, especially if you hear from the pulpit, certain things about joy and this, that, and the other, you know, and you hear it and you, you know, it's being read to you and preached at you and these different things. And you want to believe it. And at times maybe there is, but when I do an overview of it, it's just been this miserable place. And I had to realize that the father figure the masculine authority figure in my life, that relationship was traumatized. I remember being in the juvenile detention center at the age of 14 and my dad had come to see me and there were all these guards around. And I knew in that moment, he wasn't gonna put his hands on me or scream at me because there was a lot of people there. And I took advantage of that. And with all the muffled tears, I could courage up I told him, I said, I don't understand why you have to be such an asshole all of the time. Mm -hmm. And that was such an act of bravery for me. You yeah. know? And I realized that oftentimes we transcend or place 
our relationship to the masculine role model in our life as children on the relationship that we have with God. So for the first, I mean, decade and a half of my Christian experience, I was constantly in a place of turmoil, wondering if God was truly pleased with my life, wondering if I was truly accepted, truly valued, wondering if I was truly saved. You know, I remember getting on an icy road one time going up this hill on the freeway and spun out on the ice and went into oncoming traffic. And by the grace of God, I was like, I'm, I remember it. It's so like, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, anyway, it was just a weird experience. My truck was like lifted up and tossed gently into the snowbank. And I was like, whoa. And I remember I just broke down and started crying as a, as a 25-year-old man. And in the, in, in the cries, I was asking God, if that would have been the one, would I have made it? And I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using drugs, I was going to church, I was doing my best with what I knew to be a good man, I was involved in ministry, I was doing all the things, I felt like I had some type of connection with God, but I didn't feel safe, I didn't feel secure, and it took a lot more years to really try to separate my relationship with God from my relationship to my father, because we copy-paste that masculine authority figure over that way you know and uh yeah so i know my grandfather was a hard man and i didn't realize this till later on in life and i know my dad grew up i don't know how heavy-handed my grandfather was but i know that he had a terrible temper and i know that him and his father had a lot of moments where they didn't get along and I remember when my grandfather died, my dad was in turmoil over it. And the one thing that he said was unresolved, unresolved, and now it can't be fixed. And he was emotionally just in a bad place after his father had died, you know. But um, let's talk about attachment. I seen that in the subheadings there in the book. What's that? Yeah. What's that about? Explain that to us. Yeah, so... When uh, kids are raised with love and affection and parents are really attuned, so when babies cry, parents pick them up and diaper them if they need a change or feed them if they're hungry. If When kids are responded to with a lot of love and nurturance, then they're going to develop what's known as a secure attachment. These are the kids that have the internal working model that says, I trust myself because I'm pretty cool, obviously, because I'm, you know, everyone's doting over me. And I trust parents, I trust the world. They just kind of go through life with more confidence, more of a sense of um, empowerment and security and things just work out for them mm -hmm. more easily. But when parents don't meet the needs of their kids, they develop an insecure attachment. And so this can show up in three different ways. One is avoidant attachment. And this happens when kids basically realize at a young age, I can't count on my parents. They are like consistently unavailable. And so I got to depend on me. Mm -hmm. And so these kids then grow up being very self-reliant. They do a lot of avoidance, a lot of suppression, and they are very fearful of intimacy and vulnerability. They just don't trust people. So they really keep to themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, then ambivalent attachment style is also an insecure style where sometimes kids' needs are met. And I like to use the metaphor of playing the slot machine. So sometimes when you put money in, you're gonna get a small payout. And so it keeps you wanting to play, right? Mm 
And so that's how we are um, with parents when they're sometimes generous with their kindness. And so it makes these um, kids and later adults really kind of desperate for connection and really anxious for connection, but also fearful of rejection. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's, it's really uncomfortable, like always afraid of abandonment, but always like starved for connection. Mm -hmm. And then there's the dis disorganized attachment style, which people are, were, were terrified of their parents. And so they, when you so desperately want and need protection from the very person who is causing you to need protection, it creates internal disorganization in our system. And so these are the people who have a lot more instability in life and relationships and jobs and um, can be more volatile and can definitely be more easily victimized by people. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you're like de describing my adolescent years and my early teens to a T, man, like hopping from job to job, like just, um, yeah, all over the place. You know, it's good to know, because for a lot of years, you think it's you. You're like, what is wrong with me? I even told my wife one time, I, I said, you know, I think one of my chromosomes is off. And if I would have had one more half chromosome off, I would have had like Down syndrome or been, you know, mentally disabled or something like that. Because some of the stuff that I would do was just... Uh, just asinine crazy you know but like it all makes sense like you get broken in your head in a lot of ways and I think you know that's why I have two back-to-back -back chapters one is what's wrong with me because everyone who comes to see me pretty much asks me that you know problems with relationships problems with anger problems with how they parent their kids really low self-esteem they might be high achieving but inside they feel like a total phony and so it's really important to break down like that idea that you think there's something wrong with you and instead look at actually like what happened to you that's causing you to behave in that way, that's causing you to think in that way, that causes you, you know, emotionally to respond in the way that you do. And there can be so much peace that we can come to when we recognize there's really nothing wrong with me except that I was deeply wounded and I have all of these patterns of coping mm -hmm. and um, not trusting myself, not trusting other people, not trusting life. And there can be a lot of relief in just realizing it's not you, it's what you went through. Yeah. I was writing while you were sharing there just a minute ago about people keeping to themselves. My, my wife and I will joke about it. I'll tell her and I spent so much time just in my own head trying to avoid people and then all the time alone in youth prison and adult prison that I'm perfectly comfortable. You could drop me off on an island and I would not need anybody. Just a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and I'll be just fine. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people in my life these days, they really, really don't know how to be alone. And maybe it's a good thing, you know, but like for me, I can. When you were talking about empowerment and security, wow. My kids, these three that my wife and I have, they walk around, you know, like the world is theirs, you know? <laughs> and I remember being little and walking with my head down all of the time, expecting to lose, expecting to be bullied at school, yeah. vibrating out from me this 
I'm nobody and I should expect for people to treat me like garbage. And because it started at home, it very quickly, because I was vibrating that type of energy out, attracted those type of results. Exactly. Yeah. I was at school and I was bullied so bad at school, but because of my desire to break that cycle and parent differently and not really having a roadmap on how to do it, just things that I learned here and there along the journey, I have decided to err on the side of grace over judgment to the point where there's certain times where I'll look at my kids and I'll go, you realize that I would be looking for my teeth right now on the ground if I had just said or done what you have done, you know, but what I've also learned is that grace when you give people grace and the best quote i ever heard about grace was simply grace is room to grow grace is room to make mistakes right and so i give that to my kids to the point sometimes where i'm like am i being too gracious here <laughs> like that wooden spoon is right there but i'm gonna let you make it you know i told my kid the other day he got into something and i went downstairs and i said dude like you got to get this under control bro because at some point, I'm going to have to deal with this a little more severely than we have been, but I'm going to let you make it. I just need some guarantees because I don't ever want to open that door and be that kind of parent to my kid. You had said something about, um, you didn't use the word imposter syndrome, but you used the phrase highly successful people that feel like frauds or something like that. Yes. <laughs> that is something that I have dealt with my entire life. I used to live under a bridge needles like in and out of prison like a terrible person in the way quote unquote by society standards you know you couldn't get any lower and through the years of my own healing and learning how to be successful and building my confidence levels back I've gotten to a place where you know marriages don't last three years I've been married to a beautiful woman for 15 years I've got amazing kids I've got a six-figure career I've got a, a book, a, a podcast, a brand, all of these different things. And I'm trying to tell my wife this, that I wake up most days feeling like an imposter, like this isn't me. Can you talk about imposter syndrome and maybe get into a little more detail with that? Yeah, absolutely. My, my point of view about imposter syndrome is it essentially boils down to a lack of worthiness. And right. so really, um, in order to feel like you're, you're deserving of the success you have, it's critical to heal the wounds that gave you that idea that you weren't worthy. Mm -hmm. And it, I like to look at healing with two arms. One is we have to heal the wounds and there's so many different kinds of really good approaches to help us heal the wounds. But when we have a trauma, we also have beliefs that go with that trauma that we take away from it. And so when our parents do not treat us with love and respect and kindness, then we take beliefs out of that. Like there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm the problem. And so we have to both heal that wound and transform those beliefs because then when we truly believe that we are worthy, then we're going to have a lot more confidence in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about healing. I know that it's for some people, a lifelong process. 
And I know that there's different approaches depending on who the therapist is and what the trauma is. But if you were to suggest one, maybe one or two things that somebody can do maybe on their own, because we hear a lot about healing, but what about a practical thing that someone could do um, to start their own healing process? What does that look like? Healing from really complicated trauma is um, not possible to do on your own, but there are things that you can do to support yourself on the journey. Okay. Because we can't have the, the objectivity and the skill to, you know, bring that to ourselves, especially when we're still very wounded. And even at my own stage of the journey, I've been doing deep healing work for nine to 10 years now. I both still heal myself and I still work with practitioners to help me through things that I just can't do on my own. Mm -hmm. One of the approaches that I think is a very good self-healing tool is called emotion freedom technique. Have you heard of that before? I have not. So it's like a lot of, I think, good approaches to recovery. Um, it sounds really weird. <laughs> and so um, it's a method of tapping different points on your body that connect with the meridians, whereby you are storing emotions and it's connected to our fight flight response. And so essentially the way it works is that you start by focusing on the truth of how you really feel. So let's just use the example of a imposter. So you tap right here and say things like, even though I feel like a total phony, I'm willing to learn to love and accept myself anyway. And you say that three times because we have to acknowledge the facts and how we really feel. There is you know, this movement of positivity that is really dangerous for people recovering from trauma. Yes, it is important for us to have an optimistic mindset and to be able to see the good in things, but we have to stop suppressing how we feel. And so what I like about this approach is that you can use it with a practitioner, but there's also resources uh, online and you can teach yourself how to do it. So you start with talking about the truth of how you really feel, and then you tap other parts that are designated with this approach. And then you say, it's so stressful. I just feel like someone's going to figure it out at any moment that I'm a fraud and people are going to judge me. I'm so scared every morning when I, I wake up, it's just so stressful. So you just really get that emotion out. And as you tap, it can bring up other thoughts, other memories, and you just keep tapping these different spots and it helps to clear the emotion. And so after you clear the, uh, the negativity that you feel, then you start with more positive statements. Um, but I'm learning and growing every day. Okay. And I've overcome a lot so far and I'm going to just keep going. I'm basically unstoppable. If I've gotten through everything I have so far, why wouldn't I keep growing and healing? So that's the idea of emotion freedom technique. And I'll tell you, Brad Gates has like 800 videos on YouTube uh, for EFT tapping. And so there's so many free resources and he's really great. There's also an app called the Tapping Solution, which has a lot of great tapping meditations as well. And so you can do it to release anger. You can do it to build confidence. You can use it for anything that you're going through. There's a tapping meditation for it. Okay. All right. So for the audience um, that may not catch this on YouTube when we post it and is just hearing it, 
um, Dr. Mindy was tapping her hand on the side of her hand, and then she started tapping her forehead and then her cheekbones and then on her lip and then on her chin as she was saying all of those statements about how the emotion, the negative emotion feels, imposter syndrome, anger, frustration, whatever the case may be. And then she cycled back through it again with the positive affirmations. What does the tapping have to do with it? I'm just curious. What, why, why is the verbal not enough? What does the tapping do? How does it connect and make it better? So when we suppress emotion, when we're kids, we suppress so much stuff when we're kids because we don't have the means to express it. When kids have tantrums, when they have a good cry, like they're releasing emotion and that's a good thing. We want our kids to be able to get it out. Mm -hmm. But when we are so scared and it's not safe to express how we feel as kids, we suppress. And that's why a lot of people who are recovering from trauma have so much anger because they couldn't express the anger related to the injustice they experienced growing up. Okay. And so there's a lot of stuck emotion in the body, which causes us to be sick, which causes us to be really triggered by things with frustration and anger and irritability. And so the tapping connects to the meridians on the body that help to release the stuck emotion and to get us out of that fight flight response related to the thing that we are talking about. Okay, and then following it up with the positive affirmations while you're tapping, what does that then do? So that helps to then, you know, reprogram the mind. Okay, it, helps to, it helps to, it helps recreate new neural pathways to a new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very, very powerful. I think, you know, we have to be careful when we're doing certain things to heal ourselves, because if we don't have a container, we can um, open up an old wound and not have the means to kind of navigate what happens after that. And that's one of the things I really love about EFT is that it's, um, there's, there's just so many ways to use it to feel better. Now, just like any approach, it might not be the best approach for some people, but when I'm thinking about like, what are the best approaches that we can use on our own and not always rely on a practitioner? I think that is one of the best uh, approaches. It's so, very simple and doable. Okay. So let's say there's somebody out there and I know that obviously the larger portion of my audience is going to be men. And for men, we have this uh, Achilles heel called pride. It's going to be like, um, I mean, things have to be really, really bad for a man to go, all right, I need to see a therapist. If, if the man is there or a person, just any person is there, but we have as humans, this fear of the unknown, and they're wondering what this therapist is going to do to them is probably how they're thinking. And they don't, they don't know if they're ready to just trust some person that they don't really know and some process that they have no clue about what kind of things would you be comfortable sharing that a therapist would do because you said a minute ago deep trauma it's better to have somebody what kind of things would a trauma therapist do just to kind of break the ice for guys that may be ready to see a therapist and they now they know what they do so that ice is broken and maybe they're ready I think it's a good idea to always try to get a recommendation of a good trauma therapist because not everyone knows, not every licensed therapist really knows how to heal developmental childhood trauma. 
And so I always want people to be really careful who they pick because I don't ever want things to get worse for someone when you're, you know, working up that courage. So um, I know it can be hard to ask, you know, and you might not have guy friends who have been to other therapists who can tell you, but I always just like to say, really try to get a good recommendation if you can. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes to see me, I start by uh, asking them like, what's going on in your life right now? Where are you struggling? And so I want to get a good understanding of what's happening in their current life, because that is showing me a window into their childhood wounds. Mm -hmm. And so in my work with people, I always look at what are you triggered about right now? And then I help guide them to see how specifically that is a trauma reenactment based on what they experienced growing up. Okay. So for example, if someone comes and says, um, you know, uh, my partner gets kind of aggressive sometimes, I feel like I can't always say how I really feel. Then we're going to look at what's that uh, reenacting from childhood. And then I will use that to do some healing work around that childhood trauma. For me personally, I use a lot of inner child healing work and I use an approach called logosynthesis, which is a really powerful and simple way to heal old wounds and transform the limiting beliefs that were associated with them. Okay. And so when someone comes to see me, I really like to get, I like to get right to business. <laughs> and so that just sort of gives you a nutshell of uh, what I offer people. And it's also really important to have things to do on a regular daily basis to support yourself. I'm a huge fan of journaling, okay. um, writing like the things that you're angry about. Writing it and burning it is also a very therapeutic thing to do. Okay. I have a, a friend that I met through the podcasting. He reached out one day and told me he had read my book and he couldn't remember how he had come across it but he thanked me for the book and we got to talk and, and come to find out he's also a podcaster and uh, shout out to Ross with project unchained podcast. And he asked me at the end of, cause I was on his show and he was on mine and he asked me <clears throat> when I was on his show, what are my go-to self-care tools? And I had talked about uh, the gym for me has been really good just to, just to work my flesh out and, the other one I talked about was positive affirmations in the morning when I wake up kind of before my conscious and my subconscious have had a chance to detach from themselves. Yes. And I have really seen, <clears throat> excuse me, I've really seen my mind begin to step further away from imposter syndrome and begin to take on this mantle of who I want to be oh. as a result of me affirming who I am. And I use I am statements, but he said, I guess the point I'm trying to get to is he said one of his go-to self-care tools was journaling. He's big on journaling. <clears throat> but he said he will also do this thing where he'll go back to the trauma. <clears throat> ah, excuse me. Sorry, Doc. He'll go back to the trauma and see himself as a child <clears throat> and then interact as an adult with his child self. Yeah. And see uh -huh. his child self struggling or not in an emotionally good space. And he'll love on himself that yes. way and offer himself. And, <clears throat> you know, everybody has different tools and whatnot, <clears throat> but I accidentally stumbled on that this morning. No, it was actually two days ago. I was writing 
and I was writing a portion of the second book that I'm working on. And unbeknownst to me, I just started writing as if I was myself talking to myself 35 years ago. Yeah. And I broke down and started weeping like a baby. Like I had to get up from the computer and like take a break, you know, and uh, it was really powerful. And I know there's a lot of tools out there and I want guys to know that there's no shame in realizing that a lot of, a lot of bad stuff happens in the world. And if you find yourself on the end of some childhood trauma or experiences, whether from your parents or from a spouse or a partner or just things that you've done to yourself or life is just thrown your way, loss of a loved one, loss of a primary caregiver, trauma comes with so many faces. It's okay to stop and say, you know what? I'm going to find somebody to talk to and see where this goes. And I would encourage guys to do that. You had mentioned uh, someone coming to you and talking about they're having their spouse is kind of being aggressive or something like that, which kind of leads us into how childhood trauma affects relationships today as adults. Yeah, uh, dramatically affects relationships of all kinds, you know, our intimate partner relationships with our children, with our coworkers, and even how we treat um, someone at the grocery store or wait staff person that comes to us because our first relationships that we have lay the template for what we expect from all of our other relationships. And so when our expectation is that we're gonna be hurt, then we often um, sort of go into one of two responses with people. We can be the one who is, um, takes the offense. And so we might become the one who's more aggressive because we can learn as kids that roles in life and relationships are one or the other. Like we're going to either be the one that's dominating or the one dominated. Mm -hmm. And so when we learn that, then we might be drawn to someone who's dominating. And so we become more submissive or we choose the more dominating role and dominate, you know, people in subtle, subtle ways or more aggressive overt ways. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about relationships I think is really helpful to know is that we have an unconscious expectation that other people are going to meet our unmet needs from our parents. And so if we didn't get a lot enough nurturance and kind words and gifts, then we're going to want our partner to be nur- extra nurturing and extra generous. Mm-hmm. And then we can get mad at them if they're not meeting these unconscious needs that are really our inner child's needs, not our adult needs. And they don't even know that we need them, right? Maybe we haven't expressed even to them, hey, I need this from you because I didn't get it. So they're not meeting a need that they're not even not even aware of that you need, that they might have probably given to you because they care about you, but they're completely unaware, right? Yes. And, you know, it's really our responsibility to figure out um, what it is we need and ultimately we are the ones that need to give it to ourselves. I like it. Yeah. And so it's a good question to ask yourself, like, what am I irritated at my partner for not doing for me, giving me, et cetera. And what does it have to do with what I wish my parents would have done for me? Mm -hmm. And how can I do that for myself? 
So if I'm wanting more compliments from my partner, I need to be giving more compliments to myself. If I want more communication from my partner, I need to be communicating more with myself. Mm -hmm. If I want more gifts or more affection or anything at all, it starts here. Right. Because the outside world is really just a mirror of what's going on in here. Yeah. So you said gifts and my wife listens to this podcast. So if my Amazon prime bill goes up at all, I'm going to hold you responsible as my <laughs> wife begins to buy herself gifts. Gifts <laughs> from you. Dr. Mindy said, I got to start giving it to myself. No, well, this is a message for your wife then. You're welcome. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so I guess this would fall under coping, but maybe not. Um, one of the subheadings in the book was about self-abuse. Talk to me about how self-abuse correlates with childhood trauma, what that looks like. So there's a, no, a lot of reasons that we hurt ourselves and a lot of ways that we hurt ourselves as kids. And then as adults, we can hurt ourselves by hanging around people who don't treat us well. We can physically hurt ourselves with um, eating disorders or self-abuse, like literally cutting ourselves, pinching ourselves, hitting ourselves. Mm -hmm. We hurt ourselves by suppressing our needs and saying, no when we mean yes saying yes when we mean no there's all kinds of ways that we abuse ourselves and a couple primary reasons we do that one is we often treat ourselves how our parents treated us yeah we internalize their abuse and abuse ourselves or we internalize their neglect and then we neglect ourselves yeah it's just the model that was given to us for how we feel we deserve to be treated based on what we experienced Right. I've come a long way with it, but there was a time in my life where, man, I would say some really horrible things to myself. And my life coach has this um, phrase that he used. He's like, man, if you wouldn't talk to your mother that way, there's no, why would you talk to yourself that way? You know? And it's, it's taken a while. I think, I've, I think I'm finally getting to that place where, you know, like the one thing that bothers me, and I'll be honest with you, and I've shared this with my wife is I'm a very forgiving person. Like I don't hold grudges, you know, one, because I've done so much bad stuff in my life. I would not want that held against me if I was truly redemptive and wanted forgiveness. And so um, I make up easy, so to speak, you know, and I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I wish people in my family would just reach out, you know, like my mom's been getting real better at it. Um, my dad called me out of the blue like four days ago. I haven't talked to him in almost a decade. And the reason he called me was because his brother passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I'm open for healing. I, I, I don't want to hold any grudges. And there's been a lot of times on the journey where I desperately needed a father figure in my life. I'm sure. Yeah. And there was, there was no one. And that's part of the reason why I do this is because I don't care how tough, how alpha, how whatever masculine you think you are, we need a father figure or a mentor in our lives. And uh, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't get why. I did a little experiment like four years ago where I realized that the only relationships that I had with my sisters and my parents was when I reached out to them. But if I didn't, it was not reciprocated. So I, I just, I quietly cut everybody off just to see how long it would go for, you know, yeah. 
And I was blown away, you know, but of course that just started feeding into this whole rejection thing that I'm already fighting and facing and dealing with anyway. And uh, wondering why, why no one wants anything to do with me that, especially of people that, that should, or it would seem should, you know, that one's been a tough one for me trying to get that. Yeah. I think that is definitely something that a lot of people on the trauma recovery journey experience. And that again, is like that inner child, like still really hungry for that parental validation and approval. Mm -hmm. And so that's why if we keep turning inwards and healing our inner child and giving ourselves what we wanted, that longing will um, soften over time. By giving it to ourselves. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I kind of realized here recently, the only way I'm gonna get that is to be that for myself. But I'm sure you understand there are some days where you're just like, man, I just wish there was a masculine relationship of someone that's solid. They're put together to be able to put their arm around me and go, hey, you know what, man, it's going to be okay. You know, there's I don't know if that longing ever goes away. I mean, are you telling me that if I consistently engage in this practice of being that for myself, that maybe that'll go away or it'll just become less the needle becomes. I think it'll become less. And if you incorporate other healing practices as well, it will become mm -hmm. even less. And part of that process is identifying other people in your life that can help give you that sense of camaraderie or brotherhood that, um, that also is an element, you know, that's missing. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, for me, I'm so thankful that my younger self, you know, I was so starved for that maternal connection. And as I went to college and graduate school, I was really good at identifying like older non-traditional students who um, I would hang out with. Mm -hmm. And I didn't consciously know what I was doing at the time, but I was kind of getting remothered by all of these women, you know, that <laughs> I would befriend. Mm -hmm. And um, one family in particular, when I was in grad school in Colorado, I babysat for them and spent a lot of time with them. And I was like a little scientist, like studying, like, how do you parent? Oh, how do you have a loving relationship with a partner? Mm -hmm. And so I'm so grateful for those experiences early in my adult life where I got exposed or I put myself in situations where I could be exposed to people who were nurturing and were kind and knew how to have good relationships. Yeah. And so, you know, this could be something that other people can do in their current life, you know, getting involved in situations where they can have heart centered connections with other caring masculine people. Yeah. Yeah. I think for guys, it's kind of a, like I said earlier, a pride thing, you know, cause you, you don't want to just find someone that you think fits that bill, you know, that's that, that, that emulates those characteristics and then go up to them and go like, Hey bro, look, you need to be my dad. You know, I need your help, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> You're going to scare people like that, you know, but I think building relationships and, you know, uh, over time, if you find the right people that'll speak good things into your life, you can get just enough maybe, you know, to kind of meet that need. Self-validation is a big thing. That's another thing my buddy Ross was talking about that I've really been thinking on lately is like, it's, it's not going to come from anywhere unless I give it to myself. I'm too far along in life. You know what I mean? I'm 45 years old. There's nobody pounding on my door to come in my house 
and validate me as a human being. But if it's a if it's a human need, which I believe it is, and a lot of people do, significance, belonging, and validation are human needs, then I got to give it to myself. That's right. And uh, that's probably my nugget from this. As I share in every episode, I always get a really good nugget, and that's for me. So um, I'm going to be practicing that and working on that. Let's get into the empowerment side of this as we start getting ready to wind down um, through personal responsibility. We're now ready to empower people. We've made aware of trauma. People know what they've got. They know their baggage. They know what's in their closet. We've gone through how it affects our lives, self-abuse, coping, attachment, medicating, all of these different things. We've made aware of the need for healing, all of this. Let's get into empowerment and talk about how we do it through personal responsibility. So I have 16 pillars of uh, trauma recovery in my book. And the very first one is personal responsibility, because in order for any of the other pillars to be effective, like we have to recognize that we have to be responsible for our own healing. And when we realize like it's up to us, like we're the captain of our ship, then we can move through our healing journey in a more empowered manner. Part of what happens with trauma is that we are victimized as kids. And so then we can carry that sense of victimization all the way through life. And when we stay in that victim role, we always have the expectation that someone is either going to be our persecutor or our rescuer, but we want to get out of that drama triangle and recognize like, it's up to me if I have a great life and we all get to make that choice. Yeah. I had a lady on my podcast a while back. Her name is Candace. She's my favorite Canadian. I call her. She's from Canada. (laughs) And uh, She came on and talked about some trauma stuff that she had went through and, um, her healing process and how all of that played out in her life and everything. And it really ties into what you had just spoke on embracing difficulties. This is as we go through life, like from the point that our healing starts, we know that there are going to be difficult days. How do you embrace them? What's the mindset one needs to have? All of our difficulties are showing us exactly the right next step for us to transcend our pain. Mm -hmm. So when we're going through some adversity, there is massive wisdom Mm -hmm. and growth potential in that adversity. And so again, from trauma, we easily can go into resistance and saying, no, I don't want this. I can't, no, please, anything but this. I want future Mindy (laughs) to handle this. I want future Nick to handle this. I don't want to go through it. But if we can look at difficulty and say like, "Mm, on the other side of this, I'm going to feel so much better. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be more confident. I'm going to be happier. Then we can more embrace it as this is just the wave I'm going through. That's just necessary for me to get to my next level. Let me, let me, let me unpack that a little bit, because I think when we mention embracing difficulty the first thing that comes to my mind is like the precursor event itself like a relationship issue a financial issue a health issue dealing with our own headspace but if i'm hearing right it's not the issue it's the response that we have to the issue that is showing us what the next step for growth and healing is yes it's like the issue is what it reveals in us 
it's perfect for every difficulty is perfect for us because we wouldn't be triggered by it if there wasn't some wounding that it was inviting us to heal. Right. And so, um, for example, like when I started doing podcasts a few weeks ago, I was scared. <laughs> I was, you know, kind of anxious about it, you know, being seen in such a visible way, um, being on the spot, answering questions. I didn't know kind of what would come up. And I also know like this was the perfect challenge for me to build more confidence and to get more skilled at talking, you know, off the cuff um, with people. And so even though it was scary, it was like the perfect opportunity. Now that's not the same thing as someone going through a major relationship crisis or a car accident or um, their children going through something, but it's the same idea that if we can use that difficulty to lean in instead of avoid, escape, hide, it heals us and it helps us grow. Yeah. Every, every difficulty. This, this life coach, another lady, her name is uh, Lucia Dumanicia. She was on my show a while back. She's from Romania. Um, it's been really cool reaching out to people. Um, actually, I've had people from like several different countries on the podcast. And uh, they, you know, they always bring the goods. And this lady was talking about she was the first person that ever exposed me to the idea that the pain is the clue. It's the gift. Yeah, that what it what the hardships of life bring to the surface in you are not a tragedy. It's a clue. It's a gift on where you're at emotionally and psychologically and how you respond and deal with that issue. And it's like I said, it's a gift letting you know what you need to work on next. And I think in the moment of pain, or the moment of emotional suffering, as adults, when we're dealing with these things that I mentioned, relationship issues, money, all, you know, all these different things, we have to stop and take that breath because we can get to the point where our vision is to the end of our nose and no further. Yes. And we say, okay, what can I learn from this? What about myself, about this other person or about this situation? And how can I benefit by way of growth from this? And I really like that. I really like that. That's emotional intelligence functioning at its highest place, in my yeah. opinion. I think. And it's like, it's like an evolution. Yes. When I think about my parents and my grandparents and beyond, people didn't think like this before. We didn't have the information and the tools and the research and the data on psychology, self-awareness, self-limiting beliefs, trauma and trauma healing and all that. And if a person is willing to do the deep dive on themselves and go explore, they're definitely going to learn some powerful tools and strategies to not only cope, but to like soar, you know, and transcend past all of this stuff and begin to build the amazing life that they want for themselves. For me, I have been in this place. And if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said no, but your kids revealed to you things, right? Truth comes from everywhere. <laughs> yep. And uh, I shared it a couple episodes ago, how I'd come home from work and I was just in a funk about my own internal headspace, you know, and how I'm showing up to the table in different areas of my life 
and I'm the kind of person that my emotions are all over my face, you know, and I'm dragging the trash can from the street back to the house because it was our day to get the trash picked up. And one of my kids looked out the kitchen window and they're like, oh, dad's home. And he looks angry again. And my wife is telling me this. And I was actually excited to come home and be with the with the people that actually give me the greatest joy. Um, but I was talking to my wife again. We have these coffee moments. I don't know if you and your husband do this where it's early in the morning and you're just having a cup of coffee and you kind of go deep on things. And I realized that for decades of being unhappy, I wired the neuroplasticity, the neural pathways of my mind to be in a constant state of unhappiness. I realized that you could give me everything and that list of accomplishments that I shared earlier that I've achieved in life is for me everything, but it's like it's not enough to actually unwire billions of strands of neural pathways that have been developed to be unhappy and really take a moment and do some serious gratitude practicing and really like go over everything I've accomplished and voice that back to myself to try to create a sense of happiness in my life today. And it's almost, I feel guilty about it. Like, why can't you be happy, bro? You transcended out of a place of prison, addiction, needles, abuse, like all of this brokenness and have the kind of life that so many people would long and love to have, but yet you still can't find this place of happiness. Any tactics or strategies that a man can implement in his life to help him get to that place? Yes. The strategy that I love is make a list. And even if it's just two things, or even if it's just one thing where you felt love, where you're giving love, where you're receiving love, where you felt joy, where you felt happiness, if you make it like a playlist of three to five of those things and you just run them through your mind every day mm -hmm. and it's best in the morning when you get up or go to bed and just see yourself happy by drawing on the memories of the times that you were, mm -hmm. and that is a very powerful way to reprogram your mind. Allow anyway, yourself to feel happy. Allow the emotion of happiness to be felt in that moment. So you recall the memories and you feel it in your body. So if everyone just would take a moment, think about a time that you felt joyful, happy. Mm -hmm. And just by thinking about that, you cause a whole cascade of um, hormone shift in your body and okay. the emotions already start to shift physiologically to that state of joy and happiness just by recalling it. Our brains don't know the difference if something is actually happening or we're visualizing it. Yes. And so as you just keep remembering those times of joy, you're going to reprogram your mind and your body. And that can be a very simple technique to use on a daily basis that can be very transformative. Yeah, I think I'm my own worst critic. And I wrote about it in the last book where I talked about how those of us that had more judgmental fathers will probably be the worst on ourselves. Yep. You know, like it's never good enough. Like I could, I could take it beyond what it is today and it would not be good enough. Let's talk about vision. Yeah, I, I love uh, I love working with people on vision because when we've had childhood trauma, we learn to give up on hopes and dreams because of learned helplessness. You know, it didn't things didn't work out for us as kids, and so we don't really want to aim very 
high. We don't want to be disappointed. We have a hard time imagining that we're capable of experiencing the things we really want to experience. And so pretty much everyone that works with me makes a vision board. And I encourage people to think about, and, and it doesn't have to be a big um, display of artwork. A vision board can be like a note card where you say five things that you really want to draw into your life. Mm -hmm. And the importance of vision is that, and I've heard Bessel van der Kolk, a you know, top trauma expert say this, we have to be able to envision something in order to experience it, in order to bring it in. Mm -hmm. So if we create a vision in our life, and so maybe you want to just work on having a good partner relationship, and then you make a list saying, um, I'm so thankful that my relationship with my partner is loving, affectionate, um, has good communication, we take trips together, that we sort of create a vision for various aspects of our life. And then I encourage people to keep it where they can see it because every decision we make is either going to lead us towards that vision or away from it. And so you've talked about how you know, men struggle with pride as a reason they might not do things that are good for them. But if we can create a vision, can that be enough to kind of encourage you to sort of tone down the pride a little bit because you would rather have this kind of life than mm -hmm. the pride that keeps you, you know, feeling uh, uh, yeah. stuck. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it, man. It's good stuff. Um, I know I'm getting there. The amount of growth that's happened in my own life has just been amazing. Just by being able to sit down and talk with people like yourself, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And um, before we close out, let's go over the title of the book again and let people know where they can pick it up. Okay, well, I have it with me, so I'll show it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so it's called Cycle Breaker, A Guide to Transcending Childhood Trauma. And it's at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And also can be purchased from my website, which is mindykessler.com. I also offer a lot of online courses for people who can't access a coach or therapist, but want to understand more. One program is called Alchemize Your Life. And I have a bunch of videos and worksheets that help people connect the dots between why they're stuck now and what it has to do with their childhood trauma. And I'm just finishing up a course for inner child healing and uh, a course called Body Solidarity which is teaching people how to love their bodies. Awesome. Uh, I offer group coaching and one-on-one -on -one coaching. And um, I try to provide a variety of options for people who have different needs. And um, I just, I love, I'm just very passionate about helping people transcend their pain. Yeah. A powerful quote I heard years ago was, those whom God would use greatly, he must first wound deeply. And that's always kind of given me like a way to kind of understand that in order to be in this space and have impact, you had to have had to experience it, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, M-I-N-D-I-K-E-S-S-L-E-R.com, MindyKessler.com. Guys, okay. I would encourage you to check out the book and uh, check out her website. And if you've been encouraged by this at all, please reach out to her, leave her a message, let her know that you appreciated it. Let her know what you thought about the book. And Mindy, would you be willing to come back on and discuss this stuff again? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you said you were in full podcast mode right now. I know some people and I'm going to do some introductions, what they call podcast introductions, where you just introduce via email to some other people that I know would love to have you on their podcast. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes. Yeah, we'll get that all tied up here within the next week or so. And um, 
yeah, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Really great talking with you. That yeah, was a very, very good conversation.